So we're going to be at Revelation 19 uh, and looking primarily at verse 1 and the essentials of of worship and God growing us uh, in in worship. I know it's been a busy day and a lot uh, going on, so let's uh, quiet our hearts before the Lord. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, where we do reflect on 2021 and you saw us through. Lord, we know that you're good and you have a plan even though we don't see it and we don't often understand it. We trust your promises. And we do want to just quiet our, our hearts, our souls before you. want to slow down, hear your voice. Just give your thanksgiving to the Lord tonight, what what you're thankful for. Also give your burdens to him. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Psalms 34, it says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from my fears. What, what fears do we have tonight? Let's seek the Lord and ask that he would lift those fears. Father, give us ears to hear. Send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 of Revelation 19, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. A.W. Tozer has this quote. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? And is it a a biblical understanding of who God is? Is it a biblical understanding of of who uh, Jesus is? We find throughout the book of Revelation, and specifically throughout this chapter, incredible worship. And this worship of the Lord comes from the knowledge of God. It comes from understanding who God is. God's glorified when we worship him. We're created for the purpose of worshiping him. That's why we exist. It's why we're going to exist for all of eternity. But also, we're most satisfied when we worship the Lord. We tap into that abundant life that Jesus promised to us when we worship the Lord. The most miserable days is when I'm focused on myself and focused upon others and focused on circumstances. But the best days are when I'm focused on the Lord focused upon his throne that he is established. So what are the essentials in worship? What's the theology of worship? And in this chapter, we're going to see several of those essentials of worship. And the first comes from verse 1. If you're taking notes, write this down. Worship is rooted in the character of God. Worship is, is rooted, it has its foundation, it has its essence in the character of God. This great multitude lifts their voice saying, Alleluia. 
We learned this weekend that this word is only used four times in the New Testament, and it's all in Revelation chapter 19. It means praise God. The Hebrew equivalent, the English word that we translate is alleluia, which means praise the Lord. Alleluia with an H, hallelujah with an A, they, they mean the same thing, praise the Lord. So praise the Lord's a lot in the Old Testament, but only these four times in the New Testament. And why are they praising the Lord? Why are they lifting their voice with this alleluia? And notice what it says at the end of verse 1, to the Lord our God. It's personal. There's this understanding of who God is, but they know that God is personal to them. And when we think about uh, worshiping the Lord, it's not just this impersonal relationship with God or this impersonal knowledge of God. There's certain facts that we know about history. We know about George Washington. We know about Abraham Lincoln. But we're not connected to Abraham Lincoln personally. We never knew him personally. And for worship to reach the degree that God intends for it, it's not just knowing about the Lord. But it's allowing for it to be personal. It's really holding on to his character, experiencing his character, walking with the Lord So when we think about worship, I think a lot of times we try to conjure it up. Like, oh, I know worship is important. I know God has called me to be a worshiper. So, okay, I've got to get my act together and worship. But what happens when we behold who God is, when we see his character and it becomes personal to us, worship's going to flow naturally. Worship's going to flow organically. Almost we can't help but worship. So in this chapter, you probably noticed from the weekend study, or if you missed it, to be able to go back and listen, but there's so much about who God is in Revelation 19. So let's review a a few of those and see how Alleluia is connected to the character of God. So in verse 3, we see an Alleluia. Again, they said Alleluia. And then the 24 elders and the four living creatures in verse 4, amen, alleluia. And then verse 6, alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So here's something that we understand about the Lord. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. This is who he is. When we think about worship, we think about his power and that he does rule and he reigns. I think this is something that we need to be encouraged in in our lives personally, but also on a global scale. God's ruling over the affairs of men. This is all leading up to his second coming when he rules and reigns, but he's ruling in our lives personally as well. And if I'm honest, there's days that I doubt this. I know this in my mind, but my heart and my emotions wrestle with this of, of Lord, are you really in control of this situation? It sure seems to be taking a curveball. It sure seems to be going in a direction that I didn't anticipate and I don't fully understand, but I know by your word that you reign. A friend sent me a text with Psalms 93 in it today, and I I think it fits perfectly with this section of scripture. So let me read Psalms 93 to you, just the first few verses. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old, for you are from everlasting. 
One thing that we know from the truth of scripture is God is upon his throne and he's omnipotent, which means he's all powerful and his throne is not threatened. It's not threatened by my circumstances. It's not threatened by my sin or shortcomings. He's upon his throne. And as this great multitude in heaven is watching these events take place, Babylon being judged, Christ returning, like the Lord reigns. So worship is going to flow for us when we understand that the Lord is seated upon his throne in power. That's what took place for the 24 elders, for the four living creatures. They are literally seeing Christ upon his throne and they can't help but worship. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the throne room of God. And when he sees the throne room of God, he comes to a place where he's undone before the Lord. He's moved into greater worship. As this chapter goes on, Revelation 19, there's three titles of Jesus that were, were listed. And the first was that Jesus is faithful and true. And this knowledge of God that Jesus is faithful and true should move us to a place of worship. Jesus being faithful means that he does what he says. He's going to be faithful to his word. Even though we strive to be faithful, ultimately we're unfaithful. Ultimately we fall short. We don't always fulfill our commitments. We we make mistakes. My second daughter, she's preparing to get her driver's license and we were able to pick her up an old Honda Accord and, and I parked it in the driveway this week and I was going to the gym Monday night and I was running behind with my third daughter and I backed into her car, right? Thankfully, there wasn't a, a lot of damage, but I was like, oh, this is such a bummer. You know, we found, found this car and I just, I just keep banging it up, right? And there wasn't a lot of damage, but I'm not a faithful dad in the way that Jesus is faithful. And we get our eyes upon Jesus and we understand he truly is, is faithful. And he's the one who is true. Jesus said, know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're looking for truth. We're longing for truth. We're wondering where, where's the truth? Well, well, the truth is found in scripture. The, the truth is found in the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. He is faithful and he is true. And as we focus on the fact that he's faithful and that he's true, it causes us to worship. The second title that is given to Jesus here in Revelation 19 is that he is the word of God. A title that is given to Christ that he's the word of God. And we could spend all night on this and really unpack this of how the message of God is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to our need for a savior. Well, what if we just had a perfect environment? I wouldn't need God to send his son to die for me. Well, Adam and Eve had a perfect environment, but they still blew it, didn't they? They, they still sinned. Well, if God just gave me a set of rules, I could follow those rules and I wouldn't need God to send his only begotten son. Well, it turns out God did give us a set of rules, the law, 613 commands, just try on 10 for size, the 10 commandments, and see how you do. 
And really quickly, we see our need for a savior. Well, how about if everybody just does what's right in their own eyes? Sound familiar? Well, that's the book of Judges, and it's an absolute disaster. There was no king, there was no leadership, everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and sin was prolific. There's things in the book of Judges that are hard to read out loud, that if you made into a movie would be very disturbing to to watch, and it shows the depravity of sin. We need a savior. We can't just be trusted to do what's right in our own eyes. So all of the Old Testament is pointing to our need for Jesus, and Jesus comes in human flesh, dies for our sin, and rises again. And the the rest of the New Testament shows us of what it's like to live in the gospel, what it's like for for Christ to be alive in our hearts and in our lives. So it's a beautiful testimony of who God is that one of the titles— of Jesus is the word of God because the message of God is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this causes us to worship. Jesus said that he seeks a certain person. And that's interesting to think about. We oftentimes talk about us seeking the Lord, but think about God seeking you. That's pretty humbling. And he tells us the kind of person that he seeks. He seeks those that worship him in spirit and in truth. So spirit is your heart being expressed to to the Lord. We'll talk about that more in in, in a moment. Truth is worshiping the Lord through scripture, how God has revealed himself through the word of God. And when we worship in truth and spirit, then then Christ seeks us out. It, It pleases the Lord for us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is the word of God. Uh, The third title that's given of Jesus in Revelation 19 is that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. I think there's a lot of material for us in this because we're longing for leadership in every facet of life. We're longing for a king. We're we're longing for a leader. It's what we really want politically. We, We want a good, godly leader, it's what we want in our workplaces, in our, in our jobs. A, a lot of times our, our jobs are impacted by good or bad leadership and we long for a, for a godly leader. In, in our homes, we long for, for godly leadership. Our families ache and suffer for the lack of leadership and we're like, oh man, if, if there could just be greater leadership in the home or man, if my mom and dad would have led me in a different way, there would have been less, less difficulty in, in my life. But whatever facet it's in, whether it's politically or on the job or in the family or in the church, we're longing for, for godly leadership and there's struggles with, with church, church leadership. Everywhere we see a fallen aspect of leadership And ultimately, we long for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's one that's worthy of submitting your allegiance to, and that's Jesus. He's the ultimate leader. And someday, we're going to experience the second coming of Christ, where Christ is going to rule and reign literally here on this earth, and how beautiful that's going to be to see the nations subject to Christ. Whether it's in Revelation chapter 19 or any other place in scripture, worship really does flow out of the knowledge of who God is, out of the character of who God is. This is what 
happened in my life as a freshman in high school. I grew up in the church. Thankfully, my, my parents had us in, in the church. Went to a more traditional church until junior high, and there was Sunday school in the morning, children's church, then adult church where the kids would sit in, and you go back for Sunday night church, and there was Wednesday night church. I mean, we were just, just always at church. The ceiling of the church was wood, and I would stare at the ceiling and count all the knots that were in, in, in the ceiling. And unfortunately, I had a really hard heart towards the Lord and having a relationship uh, with the Lord. But God pursued me in his grace, and when I understood his grace and the love of God, the unconditional love of God, that he loved me when I didn't want to have anything to do with him, strange thing happened. Worship started to develop in my heart and life. I I wanted to get to know the Christ. I wanted to be with God's people. I, I wanted to sing, but that flowed out of the knowledge of God. So one of the things for us to pray for in this area of worship is, God, help me to grow in the knowledge of you. That's essential in worship, to always continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, because then worship is going to flow from that place. Number two about worship, the essentials of worship, is worship is expressed. Again, in verse one, the multitude in heaven saying, underlined saying, they said it, they declared it, alleluia, salvation, glory, and honor, and power belong to the Lord our God. What if there's love inside of the marriage relationship, but it's never changed? You know, it's never expressed, excuse me. It's like the old husband who's been married for years and says, babe, I told you that I love you the day that we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. Like, like wives, how's that going to work, right? Rightfully so, you want love to be expressed. You want love to, to be declared, and Worship is ascribing worthiness to God. And God does desire for our worship to be expressed to the Lord. In a few verses down, there's this command where it says, worship God. Worship God. And that command is an imperative. It's a verb. Worship involves action. And sometimes we need to be reminded about this, that that God wants us to express our worship to the Lord. And this falls in to worshiping him in spirit and in truth. To worship him in spirit means, man, I'm, I'm expressing my love for God. So some, what are some ways that we can express our love to God? Well, one is singing, and we see it throughout scripture. God commands us to, to sing to the Lord. Imagine this multitude as they're lifting their voice uh, to, to the Lord. Something happens in our hearts and our souls and God's glorified as we sing his praise. And I do believe singing to the Lord is a spiritual discipline. For some, it comes really naturally. For others, not so much. I don't see in scripture where God's like giving us an option. This, this comes from the knowledge of the greatness of God. I mean, we find things in the, the Psalms that shout for the Lord is, is good. One of the members of our worship team, Andrew Vizizi, he plays drums. And one thing that's fun is when I'm back here and walking by the drum cage is, is Andrew is singing while he's drumming and shouting in excitement over who the Lord is. 
Like he's not playing the drums for you. He's not playing the drums for me. He's praying the drums for the Lord and he's genuinely so excited about the Lord that he'll just shout. You'll hear him back there going, woo! You know, like God's good. He's, he's into it. And all of the things that we express excitement with our voices to, to express our love to the Lord, our gratitude to the Lord by, by singing to him. So that, that's a way that we can express our worship to God. Also, thanksgiving, being grateful, being, being thankful is a way of expressing our worship to the Lord. We know we're in the will of God when we're being thankful. We know we're not in God's will when we're not being thankful. We spend so much time, in like, am I working at the right place? Am I driving the right car? Am I living in the right home? I'm sure God has an opinion on all those things, but what he's really declared is, is I want you to be thankful. So being thankful is a way of, of walking in worship. Giving is a way of walking in worship. Giving of finances, giving of time, giving of, of talents. Freely we've received, so, so freely give. This is a practical way of expressing worship to the Lord. Hopefully giving in any area is not just an obligation, but it's worship unto the Lord. God, you've been so good, you've provided. I, I want to give fi- financially. Lord, you've been so good and so gracious. I, I want to serve. I want to serve my family because because you've been so kind to me. I want to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to reach out to that, that unbeliever flowing out of worship, flowing out of what God has done uh, for us. So giving is, is a way for us to express worship, but also living, living. It's important to sing to the Lord, but that's not the only way that worship is expressed to the Lord. Romans 12.1 tells us because of the mercies of God to present our lives as a living sacrifice to God. The way we talk to people, what we watch, what we, what we listen to, what we say, the way we live our lives can be worship unto the Lord. Because God does desire for worship to be expressed outwardly, but not just outwardly. It's gotta come from an inward conviction of a relationship with God. God's busting the chops of the children of Israel saying, you sing songs to me, but your heart is far from me. It's possible to sing to the Lord, but have a heart that's far from the Lord. It's possible to give and tithe and give a tithe check, give, give online, but yet have our heart be far from the Lord and not be a, a cheerful giver. And God's not just wanting outward worship, but he's wanting a heart just like us in relationships where we know when a heart is invested in a, in a relationship, it's the same for the Lord. So not just that outward, but also that inward coming from that inward conviction. The last thing that we see about the essentials of worship from this text, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but number three, that worship can be beguiled. Worship can be beguiled, and this comes from the end of the chapter in God's judgment, Christ's second coming. Let's pick it up in verse 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their animals gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So the world, the armies of the world is making war against God. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, 
by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all of the birds were filled with their flesh. The beast is the Antichrist, and the false prophet are judged and thrown into the lake of fire, eternal torment. But notice that what was the Antichrist and the false prophet after? They were after people's worship. There's a war for your worship. The enemy wants your worship. Your flesh wants your worship. And it can be misguided. It can be misled. And how did they get the worship of people? They did it through deception. They deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. So even though that they were tricked, even though that they were duped by the Antichrist, they were still held accountable. And isn't that interesting? So even though Satan can attempt to deceive us, we're ultimately responsible for falling for lies. It's not that those could say, well, it's not my fault. The Antichrist tricked me. The Antichrist wasn't who he said he was. Well, the false prophet, he did supernatural signs and wonders. It had to have, have been from God. God says, no, you're accountable. You're accountable to the truth. And we may be more susceptible to deception in this area of worship than we may think. John writes, 1 John, John the disciple writes his first epistle, this beautiful letter about the love of God and us loving one another. But how he ends the letter is very interesting. He says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. He knows that there's a war over worship. Idols is anything that we give worship to that belongs to God. And idols creep into our lives. We can be deceived. We can be beguiled by idolatry to all of a sudden that's an enemy to the love of God and to loving one another. Stay with me for just a moment. If we're having problems with people where we're sinning against them, it's ultimately reflective of a worship problem. So if I keep struggling in all of these human relationships, ultimately it reflects that I'm struggling in the main relationship, and that's my relationship with God. And possibly there's not quite as much worship flowing that I may think. And you say, Eric, well, that sure sounds like a stretch because you don't know the people that I live with. (laughs) and they're sinning against me. And if they would just stop sinning against me, then there would be no problems. Or you don't know the commute that I have and how crazy people are on Powers Boulevard. Or I have to drive up to Hades every day, Denver, and deal with all that craziness up there. And it's, it's it's really not me. Or if you knew who I was married to, or you knew my children you would understand that this is, this is their problem and not my problem. Consider Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. And Cain ended up sinning in a murderous rage. But do you know where it started? It started with his worship. He gives a sacrifice 
to God. And if you read there in Genesis, it said that God did not respect Cain nor his offering. There was something off in Cain. There was something off in his worship. We don't know for sure, but we assume that that God must have told him that animal sacrifice was the way to, to worship the Lord. And that's not what Cain brought. But even more deeper than that, there must have been something in Cain's heart that was off in worship that caused God not to respect his offering. No doubt, whatever those other factors are, no doubt something was off in Cain's worship. And the end result was he killed his brother. The end result was the murderous rage. But where it began was worship. So if I'm really struggling with somebody in my life, it ultimately reveals that I need to get my eyes on the Lord. I've got my eyes on myself. I've got my eyes on this other person. I've got my eyes on on society. I need to get my eyes off of them, off of myself, and onto the Lord and get worship right with the Lord. And then as I'm in right relationship with the Lord, he's going to empower me to have that kind of unconditional love that he shows towards me. Does that make sense? I mean, we say this a lot, but when you get that relationship with the Lord right, that's going to impact our relationships with one another. Not that the relationships are going to be perfect, but there's a huge difference when worship is in its proper place in our hearts and in our lives. So what are some ways for us, January 5th, 2022, that worship gets beguiled? that we get deceived with worship. Here's some thoughts. One is this worship of self. There's a big movement in our culture to worship ourselves and happiness is the end all be all. Happiness drives the wagon, the cart, the car, however you wanna say it. It's the priority. And we even attach the name of Christ to it. Well. Jesus wants me to be happy. I still can't find that in the Bible. It, it sounds good. Like, God, God wants me to, to be happy. Well, last time I checked, he wanted me to be holy. Not necessarily happy, right? So we get this misunderstanding, this false belief that God wants me to be happy. And we start making decisions off, off of that. Well, when I read the Bible... I don't feel happy. So God must not be in that, so I'm going to stop reading the Bible. That's letting feelings dictate our lives instead of the the truth of Scripture. My feelings, my happiness will come or go, but God's word is going to be my anchor, so I'm going to let that steer my course. When I get together with God's people, I just don't feel very happy. Nobody talks to me, they sin against me, they gossip against me. There's a lot of me going on in that, right? So I'm going to do Jesus in me, but I'm not doing Jesus and the body of Christ. No way. Why? Because happiness wins the day. Instead of what God's word says, that don't forsake the fellowshipping together. And I know it's hard. I know we do sin against each other and that hurt is real, but we grow in the Lord and we grow with one another as we work through that hurt. And there may be some times where God leads you to another church and that's good as long as you are going to another church. 
and don't just get to that place where we're isolated. You know, I'm not really happy in my marriage anymore. So I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel because there's no, no happiness that's there. All of that is the worship of self and happiness driving the train. Another lie that we fall into, another way that worship is beguiled, is this idea of the worship of position, the worship of popularity, that I really give worth to being recognized by by others. I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where God has allowed you to achieve a goal that you really aspired to, and maybe you put worship, you put worth into that, and you're like, wait a second, that recognition that I got from that degree didn't ultimately fulfill. That recognition that I got at work, I got employee of the month, (laughs) it really didn't fulfill. I got so many likes or followers on social media, well, that didn't come anywhere close to, to fulfilling. But we worship this idea of being recognized. We worship this, this idea of popularity and people thinking well of us. It would be humbling to all of us to just come to the honest truth. People aren't thinking about us. <laughs> They're too busy thinking about themselves. Right? We're all just thinking, how are we going to get through the day? So why are we caught in that lie of prominence? Uh, another lie is this worship of experience. I'm really living my life to to have this experience. I'm giving worth to, oh, if I could just have this vacation or if I could just get to retirement. Now, is there anything wrong with taking a vacation? By by all means, men, enjoy some rest with the Lord, but don't make it your savior. Don't don't make it what you worship or where you, you have worth because that experience always ends. You gotta come home from vacation. And a lot of times we're more broke and we're more tired than when we left. And it's been said that family vacation's an oxymoron, that they really don't go together, right? But we, we've got this experience. How many young people are, are craving and worshiping an experience? I, I gotta have this experience in, in life. How many times in our culture do we talk about, I have to have a job that I find fulfilling, some experience that's going to be lived out at work. If God allows for you to have a job that you really enjoy, praise the Lord. But that's not what we worship. We don't, we don't worship our career or this fact that we had this experience at work. I think there's a lot of pro athletes that are getting to live out their dream job but are extremely empty. There's a lot of people in our culture that are having amazing experiences but they're extremely empty. Pleasure in and of itself, apart from the Lord, cannot satisfy. The life of Solomon typifies this. The book of Ecclesiastes shows this. He had everything that man could want, anything that you could imagine. I don't know how, but he was married to close to a thousand women. He couldn't even have known all of their names, right? He, he had women, right? There was so much gold in his kingdom that silver was treated like a stone. Could you imagine? Oh, this is just silver. Because he was that rich. He was that wealthy. There was nothing that his eye longed for that he couldn't get, but yet he said it was empty. 
And at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, this is the end of all things, is, is to fear God. It's, it's the relationship with God and to keep his commandments. It's worship that really finds satisfaction. Now, the amazing thing is, is if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and our worship is in the proper place, then we can enjoy the experience that God has provided because it's not an idol. Like, Lord, Lord, thank you that I got to go for a hike today. Thank you that I got to ride my mountain bike today. I really, I really enjoyed that. But my worship is not the experience of mountain biking. So we, we fall into that. Another way that our worship is beguiled is this idea that stuff can satisfy. It's the worship of possessions. What I find convicting is our phones really reveal what our heart is longing for. I mean, back in the day, you know, you might actually have to drive around and look at houses that you wanted. But now you just get on your phone on Realtor.com or open up your app and you're like, I wonder what's for sale in my neighborhood. And then it kind of expands out and all of a sudden you're looking out in Peyton and Callahan and Woodland Park and even Pueblo. (laughs) Property values are cheaper there. And And then after a while you're like, well, what about Tennessee? It's a little bit better of a political climate there. A little more conservative. Oh, and property values are are less. Hey, babe, look at what kind of house that we could have in Tennessee. I've never done that, never, (laughs) right? But that's really revealing in my heart. I think that this house, this next house, this bigger house, this nicer house, or to have a little bit more land, or that's really gonna, gonna satisfy Well, no, again, that's beguiled worship. Can you enjoy a house? Absolutely. Can it be used for the glory of God? Absolutely. But it makes a terrible God, doesn't it? It it makes a terrible God. It's it's not going to satisfy. Well, if I could just have this car, then, then then I'd be satisfied. No, the car doesn't have the ability to satisfy. In the Psalms, it's really clear that we become like what we worship. And the psalmist says that they create idols that can't talk, that can't think, that can't move, and they become like what what they worship. So what you choose to worship is so very important. It's really important because it's going to form who you are. Our worship really forms who we are. Another quote by Tozer that I found uh, really challenging with this. It says, the church that cannot worship must be entertained. So the church that cannot worship must be entertained, and men who cannot lead a church to worship must provide entertainment. So as a church, if we don't understand the theology of worship, if we don't understand the essentials of worship, then even inside of church, we're always just going to be looking for entertainment. And then as church leaders, we're simply going to be trying to provide entertainment. How do we provide the best music or the most creative teaching or hold people's attention? But the opposite is true. If we gain the knowledge of who God is and his love for us and his pursuit to be in relationship with us, that he's upon the throne, then there's this response that says, man, I can't wait to worship. I'm ready to worship in spirit and in truth. I don't care who's leading worship tonight. 
I'm thankful for who's leading worship tonight, but it doesn't matter to me if I like them or I don't like them. It doesn't matter to me if they pick my favorite songs or not. God's good and I'm ready to respond. I'm okay with whoever comes up and teaches as long as they open up the, the word of God because I'm ready to respond to the character of who God is. It's worship instead of entertainment. I find tonight's message to be challenging for me personally to really look at where's, where is my personal worship uh, before, before the Lord? And have I gotten off track and lost sight of worship and lost sight of, of who God is and God upon the throne? And to really move into a place of, of worshiping the Lord of choosing to worship the way the 24 elders worship, the four living creatures worship. Yes, in song. Yes, in giving thanks. Yes, in sacrifice. But in our hearts, in the heart of hearts, of just coming back to that simplicity and that place of, God, you love me. You loved me while I was a sinner, while I didn't want anything to do with you. You sent your son to die for me. God, I, I love you. I want to I serve you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Because I wish for my heart and for yours that we could just get this worship thing figured out and lock it in for the rest of our lives and never get off track. But the truth of it is, is there's seasons where we are locked in on, on worship, but then there's times where we get distracted, and there's times where we get disobedient, and there's times where our hearts get, get calloused, and God's got to bring us back to this place of, of worship, this place of hallelujah, praise the Lord. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. And you may be saying, I don't know where to start. Communion is a great place to start tonight. As we enter into song and come to communion, as we examine our hearts before the Lord and, and say, God, help me to understand you represented in your broken body and your shed blood. And remember the sacrifice of Christ. Remember his grace and his forgiveness. And then be honest with the Lord. Lord, this is where my heart is. Take a look at worship. This is where I think my worship has gotten displaced. And begin to worship the Lord in, in spirit and in truth. Let's stand together and pray this in and we'll enter into communion. Amen. Father, you know our hearts. You know that it's so easy for us to get distracted and for our worship to get beguiled and misplaced. And Lord, forgive us for worshiping ourselves and experiences and pleasure. The list goes on and on. And we thank you that you love us, that you love us unconditionally. And would you be gracious to help us to grow in the knowledge of you, to grow in your character, to grow in the understanding that you're omnipotent, that you, you are ruling and reigning over this world. You're ruling and reigning over the details of our lives, even those things that we don't like and we don't understand that make us uncomfortable. 
And we choose to worship you. We, we choose to respond to your goodness, to worship you in spirit and in truth. We don't simply want to be entertained, but we want to worship. God, would you grow us personally in worship and would you grow us as a church in worship? So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.